0: I'm Donnie O'Cannon. And I'm Jenny O'Mara. We're here to tell the hummingbird stories across our state of folks who are doing something. We explore how schools and communities work together to create transformative experiences with young people, work to bend the system, and chase the question, what will it take for every child in North Carolina to not only have a sound basic education, but to have catalytic experiences that drive them to step boldly into the futures they deserve and to create a better world? Join us as we interview school designers, community organizers, learning engineers, and education activists to learn what we should be thinking about when it comes to reimagining the future and the steps we can take today to create better schools, better childhoods, and better people tomorrow.
1: We're here. We're ready. Together we have what it takes to set the world on a different path. Let's get started. hey hummingbird fam welcome back to another episode of the hummingbird stories now jenny and i are incredibly excited to join you again for the last few episodes of the hummingbird stories for this season and as you know jenny and i chose to take a small break from the pod to give focus to our school community as we reopen this spring it's been amazing to just like reconnect with our kiddos and to join our staff in imagining and co-creating bold new learning experiences Um, Leveraging insights from this pandemic year, Um, it's been fun and exciting, and I'm glad we were able to kind of live in that moment. It's also been amazing to witness the collective resilience and creativity on full display across our entire education ecosystem. To our educators out there, you have contended with this new reality, and you've done it well, and kids deserve just that, so thank you. On this episode of the pod, we have Inez Rubistello and Irene Robinson, two entrepreneurs, two incredible mothers, and two dope advocates for the public school system. In just a moment, they will share more about how parents can get involved in their child's school experience, they will share a few ideas on how parents can better advocate for the types of experiences they want for their children, and they're going to raise up some things that they're thinking about in this moment. The interview gave me so much lift um, in incredible ways. And um, I hope you are inspired just as we were. But before we hear from our guest, Dylan Longworth, a student musician, will share some of his beautiful music with our hummingbird family. Dylan is currently a student in the Western Carolina University's Commercial Music Program. And Dylan's music can be found on all uh, streaming platforms. We hope you enjoy his art as much as we do.
2: Can anyone hear me? I'm trying to reach a better place. I'm not seeing clearly. I'm stuck in the depths of outer space. Is there somebody near me to pull me back home? I've been trapped in oblivion, scared and alone It's dark and it's dreary And I'm hurting severely The shadows, they find me They're kicking me down, pushing me out I'm following blindly All the stars taking me a different route Can you see where I'm headed, where I'm gonna be? Cause I can't see the light looking through this debris don't know where I'm going And the pain it is growing I can't find a way To tell you what's going on with me Can't hear what I say To know when you was where I wanna be Calms are down and sad When I'm light-years away Yeah, yeah When I'm light-years away Can anyone see me? All I'm finding are stars and asteroids And the darkness is breathing Isolation, it makes me paranoid Wanna get back to Earth and be right by your side While we look at the rocket ships fly through the night Cause my body is drifting And the pain isn't lifting I can't find a way To tell you what's going on with me Can't hear what I say To know it was where I want I'm like
1: years away. Welcome back to the Hummingbird Stories. We're excited uh, to reboot. Uh, we're really excited to have two phenomenal guests on the Hummingbird Stories. Um, we have Irene's Rob Iris Robinson and we have I.N.E. Um, Rubistello. that joining us today. So, welcome to the Hummingbird Story, fam. Thank you. <laughs> So,
3: who are you? You wanna go first, Aini? No, are you? I want you to go first, Iris. All right, okay, well, who, who <laughs> am I? Who is Iris? Iris is a mom, Iris is a creative entrepreneur, and Iris is an advocate for all things youth and all things community. That's who I am.
4: Uh, yeah, who is Inez? Who is Inie? Um I am a child of God. I am a mother, wife, daughter, sister, friend, um, cheerleader for public education and uh, public school leaders and public school teachers and public school workers um, and a lover of my community, which happens to be
0: Edgecombe County. Shout out to Edgecombe County yeah. um, and Aini's not joking about that cheerleading piece like literally she was one of the first people I met when I um, said yes to coming and working in Edgecombe County and when I met her she literally jumped up and down and it was like you can stay with me whenever you need to and I was like who is this lady, so like that is like Einie to the core.
3: That sounds like <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um So y'all, you know, our first question is about the future we dream of. So as a parent, what's, what is the future that you dream of?
3: I know for me, I dream of a future where my kids are able to grow up with limitless opportunities. I want them to be exposed to a lot of things that I wasn't exposed to a lot of the positive things that I wasn't exposed to. I want them to Be able to explore so many things to even figure out what it is that they like. Because I tell people all the time, like, I don't like to really tell my kids that they can be anything that they want to be because I feel like they can be even more than what they even imagine. So I want them to be able to get the chance to explore things so that they can know that they can imagine more. And I want them to feel safe in their schools. And I want them to feel prepared when they go on to college or on to their career. I want them to feel comfortable in the community that they live in, no matter where they are. I want them to feel comfortable in their own skin. I want them to feel comfortable in their own voices. And that's the future that I want to see my kids and a lot of that is dependent on our schools a lot of that is dependent on our community working together and creating that for them because otherwise we're not going to see that type of growth dang mic
0: drop am i right uh,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> you want to follow that amy i don't <laughs>
4: <laughs> i mean i certainly want to just say um amen that is, uh, you know, it, it's what our children deserve, right? That that they should have that. Um, I, when I think of like my perfect, you know, where would I just be um, over the moon, happy, overjoyed? It is that all of the, the buildings in our, um, in our County, in our district are safe. Um, warm and caring places where the kids are learning in the ways that they need to learn, not the ways that somebody is telling us this is how kids learn. Um, And that they are realizing the importance of um, being a good neighbor, uh, regardless of if the person looks like you, talks like you, has what you have, you know, that we are all in this together. And, um, you know, one of my favorite sermons I ever heard was the minister said, let's stop teaching our kids what we want to be when we grow up and teaching them, who do we want to help when we grow up? Mm -hmm. And so that they're going to school learning that like, um, and, and feeling safe and supported. That's that's it. Nothing big. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Boom, My job again.
0: <laughs> Thank you guys. Um, yeah, like those are incredible futures, y'all. So I'm just curious, as as people who care deeply about our public schools and who dream of those futures, what are some of the most important lessons you've learned um, as a parent and partnering with schools? And we can go ahead and start with you, Aini, this time.
4: Um, I think about this a lot. Uh, when Cynthia was getting ready to start um, I really wanted her to start kindergarten and the the state cutoff had just gone from October 15th to August 31st. And so, um, you know, it wasn't possible for Cynthia to be able to start school with her peers. And, um, I told my dad, I was like, I really want to write a letter to the superintendent at the time and see if I can get Cynthia able to start. And my dad said, you're in this for the long haul. She's going to be in this district for 13 years. Do not call in favors at 5 years old. He's like wait, wait until something that you need. And I thought about it and I was like, well, you know, you always want to advocate for your child, right? But you also want to be super conscious that people are doing their jobs and they are doing the jobs that they are that they feel are right. And so um it kind of ties into like, you don't just walk out when you don't get your way, right? It, things are not going to work out from your, you know, if you have a child in your district from pre-k through 12th grade, there are going to be times where you get frustrated with the system, with a teacher, with a leader, with, with the kids in the class, and we teach our children nothing if we bounce out because it's not working out for our kid, right? Like, we're letting them see that when um, you, you, things aren't going your way, you can run. And so um, I think for me, that has been um, a lesson you you do. Um, you stick it out, you know, because years are years. I, I mean, I had bad years. Um, I hated the fourth grade, hated it. You know, we got through it. Fifth grade started. I love the fifth grade.
0: You know, Amy, I think you bring up like a really important point because like that, like that is such a level of privilege to be able to run like not everybody can run. But when we commit to the collective into the community into our schools into sticking it out, I think that's when like powerful transformation can actually occur, you know, in our community. So I'm so glad that you raised up that point. What
3: about you, Iris, any
0: important lessons that you've learned?
3: I think one of the most important lessons I've learned is to just have communication with my kids educators at all times and just to be a part of as much as i can be a part of i think a lot of parents think that if they're really busy they can't really be a part of the schools. If they can't make it to the meetings and they're not going to have a voice but it's so many ways to really be a part of your school is education other than just ranting or venting on Facebook. And like, that's one of the most important things I've learned is that, I mean, that's kind of like what Aini said, if you see that there is something that you wanna change, something that you don't like, something that you wanna better, then you have that communication. You go to the leaders that can play a part in doing that. Or even if you don't feel comfortable going to the leaders that can make that decision then go to the people that you know are vocal enough to go to them for you. And I've learned that that's a big part of it. The other big part of it that I've learned is just making sure that my child feels comfortable at all times being himself so that they feel comfortable when they're learning because I know that it's hard these days when kids recognize their differences and my, my son is my eight-year-old he just turned eight is is a very quirky little boy and I just saw him to feel very comfortable with being himself you know he can he and he loves that. he says all the time oh I'm so creative I am such an inventor and it just doesn't make him feel like he's any different from anybody else. He recognizes that his differences are what make him unique. And those are the things that he loves about himself as well. So just, I don't know, I think the overall thing I've learned just in general with everything is just having communication. So having communication with the school, having communications with my kids, having communications with other parents.
1: Yeah, so Iris, your your response there has me ruminate a few things, right? Um, and I think it brings up an interesting thought for me that there's so much to learn about um, you know, like the the multiplicity of identities that kids could show up in school and the small moments that we might not see, like at the kitchen table. And you know the things that spark that sparks your kids' um like heart and and the lights of fire in them um and and her. Um so like it's, I know little Steven up close, right? He's one of my favorite kids, uh, I mean. E. Um, and then you also have Cynthia and then Iris, you have Kaysen, Kari, Ron junior and Jania, all are very different. And you guys are able to kind of like, like see those things that make them different, what can teachers and school leaders do to, to better partner with our parents so that we are also seeing the things that might not show up in school. And I should add in an effort to, to build better schools for kids.
4: I mean, I'm not sure that parents would even. I mean, I I think it's great if parents can feel comfortable enough to let the teachers know about their children and, and, you know, intimate details, maybe around their personality. But I do think that um, if teachers are in the classroom, you know, especially after a couple of weeks, a few weeks, you definitely um, know that little Stephen is not the same student as Cynthia. (laughs) It doesn't take, it actually doesn't take a couple of weeks. It takes about a couple minutes for you to realize (laughs) that. Uh, uh, If you have a pulse, you know, you would definitely know that. And I would, I would just think that, um, you know, and, and I, I find teachers in this county to be phenomenal at this, but to realize that like, what gets Stephen excited about learning is going to be way way opposite than what gets a child like Cynthia, you know, and that, um, we are able to be flexible and adjust in some ways and, and, and just have, um, realistic expectations that children, uh, learn differently and children get excited about different things. Um, if the parents are able to, um, you know, again, be in communication with the teacher and, and let them know that um, that's
3: great.
1: Aries, I- what do you think?
3: I would say that what what you all are doing is a start for one. I mean, you're you're sitting here talking to parents right now, so you're hearing what parents think. That's the first step is figuring out what parents are thinking and feeling in the first place, and then also looking at what you all are doing, you're exploring students' interests outside of what normal, or what's the word I'm looking for, um, education that has existed so far has looked like, you're exploring new ways of recreating that. And I think that's an important part of it as well. And you can get input from parents, how that works you can get input from the students themselves on how that works and just input from uh, how other schools are doing it and how it's been working for them and just doing what you're doing coming up with different ideas of how to figure out what works and figure out how to make parents feel comfortable telling schools telling educators telling leaders what we think because I think that's a big part of it as well they parents a lot of the time feel intimidated or just uncomfortable sharing their thoughts I mean a lot of parents went through the same school systems that their kids are currently in now so they look at it based on their experience with that school system and as far as they know that's the way that it's supposed to be as well a lot of the connections that's going to come between parents and schools and school leaders and people that can make those type of choices is really going to come from the school later leaders coming up with solutions like beforehand to test out. It's going to be a, a trial and error type thing because I don't think that the way that traditional school is is going to continue working everything gets outdated so it's going to take the leaders going ahead and saying okay we need to make changes and even seeing stuff like that makes parents want to speak up more because we see oh okay they do want to try something new um maybe I will feel more comfortable giving my input into this so I think just creating that environment where parents feel more comfortable with making those connections and then just any type of event that involves school community and parents where they can come together and then not feel forced and it not feel like a task not like oh we have to bring you out to this event tonight because it's a school event no something that makes them feel like oh this is going on Oh, no, I want to know what that's all about and then in the midst of that educate them on the things that you're doing, the goals that you all have, because that can happen outside of meetings. That can happen outside of events that are more structured.
1: Yeah, I really love that. That was, that was, that was powerful. I, I do want to put that back out there. So what I heard was like, like school leaders, teachers, we got to create the space, safe um, spaces to engage with parents. Um, those safe spaces also have to be grounded and like empathy and love, be willing to, to listen up close um, and be willing to, to, to pursue creative solutions alongside of parents. Um, and, but, but that also means like bringing them closer to what, what you're up to. So to our educated friends who are, who are listening, um, this comes from my like just send the invite, but send the invite with love, um, and be willing to listen and be willing to partner. Um, so that leads me to just just um, another another question. The reason we brought the two of you here because we Jenny and I are absolutely obsessed, and we absolutely fan out over the way that y'all show up for schools um in your in your roles as as parents. Um, so what i'm what i'm what I'm interested in learning from you is, like how do you know like how do you get to know the people like that are making the decisions um, for your for your child's future? And um and I understand that sometimes that means being in the room before parents who are like like who are seeking to to advocate in big ways, like where's the room? Like where should they be and who should they like and, and how should they think about like partnering and getting closer to folks who are making those decisions?
3: Well, I was gonna say for me, like anytime that I find out that there's anything going on where there's a conversation about education, I wanna be involved because I want my son to have the best, I want all of my kids to have the best education possible so um like even i know one of the things that really got me involved specifically here in Edgecombe county uh outside of just my child being a student in Edgecombe county was the talks that were happening at tbc remind me where they were called cultivating change yeah
4: cultivating change community conversation yeah, and yeah, that was, and that, was that
3: was partnered with was it EdNC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was one of the things that made me realize first of all that there is a group of people that are seriously advocating for change and improvement in our school systems, and that got me excited. And. I'm oh, sorry, it's a lot of distractions outside with all the kids. All I, the kids. Wait, I got
0: to say, I love that we're interviewing a parent right now because the kids in the background, it's like we planted it or something.
3: <laughs> no, this is real life. But, but so, so I, I mean, that's one of the things that got me excited and wanting to get involved more and just um, being involved in education, Like because I mean, I've been a teacher and I'm currently a teacher, I'm a teacher in Nash County, currently, but I, that's also the part of it that made me want to be more involved, seeing it from that end, because we talked about what we want the parents to, uh, what we want the teachers to do to make the parents feel more comfortable as a teacher. I would like for parents to, I always like when they just ask questions or share a lot, You know, we talked about them sharing characteristics of their kids and talking about the activities that they like, but I like when they ask a lot of questions. I like when they are just on me, on me, and that one, lets me know that they care, and it two, lets me know that I need to up my game, it lets me know what I'm not doing. So I um, have learned from that, the things that I can do as a parent. So I sometimes I'm like, okay, I haven't talked to my child's teacher in a while. I might need to just, you know, send out a message just because. And I know that makes a difference because that makes a difference to me as a teacher. And I might want to, you know, point out these things that are helpful. You know, you talked about Stephen letting the teacher know that he doesn't do well sitting in his seat. (laughs) for very long those are still helpful things to know because a lot of the times you do have teachers and educators that although they know that your 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 kids live with you they might say they don't know that their child acts like this in school <laughs> so it is a, a breath of fresh air to hear that and I so I've learned a lot of things like being on the education side of what I should be doing as a parent and I've also learned that parents have a lot of weight when it comes to making decisions more so than teachers do so I can say all day what I would like to happen in a classroom as a teacher but it doesn't really happen until I come out as a parent and say it and gather along other parents that are saying the same thing. I
1: need mean, what you got?
4: Well, I have to recognize that my advocacy is um, comes from a, a huge place of privilege, right? I have a car, so I can get to the schools whenever I want. I have a flexible schedule somewhat, so I'm able to get there morning, noon, or night. That's just not realistic for a lot of people in our community. so. Um, I just want to acknowledge that because for me, it, um, it creates a responsibility that while I'm there, that I'm advocating for every single child, not just my own. Um, and so, you know, whatever I can do, like be an observer, you know, if I'm observing in the hall and I see a child who is struggling, you know, let me hug on that child. Let me, you know, be a sounding block for that child. Let me be maybe, um, and, um, you know, um, I'm always going to use the wrong intermediary, like, you know, like just, uh, like, Hey, let me just give the child a couple of, um, you know, moments where he can catch his breath and maybe, um, who, whatever, uh, educator or person that has been in the wake of the path where, <laughs> you know, th- 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 they get a break too. Um, but yeah, you know, I, um, my dream job is to be a school hugger, um, where I would just stand in school all day long and hug on kids. And I'd hug teachers too, if they let me, um, but We're hired.
0: We're hired. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Um Yeah. So I, I just, um, I love being in schools. I, from the minute um, I moved back to Tarboro, even before the kids were born, I would go and um, uh, tutor a child in reading at Tarboro High. Um, I don't know how much I helped him, (laughs) but uh, but we had a good time and uh, just to be in there and, and observing. And I just, um, you know, again, I think it's, um, you know, to Iris's point, like, for example, the community conversations at night, you know, that was an opportunity to connect with educators who, you know, couldn't get a break while they were actually on the clock because they had 30 kids to manage. Um, Or, you know, just making sure that on Saturdays I'm at the park or, um, you know, at the track at the high school or um, at the rec center. And that, you know. that that educators can see your face outside of school too, and like smiling and and saying hello and um, you know saying thank you for being here because you're really important and we're really grateful. Um, I've as a as someone who has worked in a restaurant for many many years, I have had experiences where I've been in the grocery store. And someone has come up to me and felt a, felt comfortable sharing about what a terrible experience they had in the restaurant, which is not what I'm excited about hearing while I'm trying to get in and out of the grocery store. I imagine educators of all ranks have had similar experiences, right? Where they're in the grocery store and somebody comes up and says, You did my child wrong by giving them a di-, you know, whatever. That is not okay. <laughs> right. We we are in the boundaries business and um, if you see these teachers and and leaders outside of school, the only only offering you have is one of welcoming and, and gratitude. Like if there are issues that arise, they get to be brought up on school time. Okay. I
1: need mean, real quick. I want to I want to want to stay there for one second. So, like so, when parents are looking to have those conversations, right, um, that are that are not in the grocery stores. Like, where should they go? Like, where should they start?
4: You know, there's so many ways of getting in touch with people right now. Uh, Certainly, you know, we have Dojo. We have email. Um, Most all of the teachers um, have given us their cell phone numbers where we're able to reach out by phone or text. I I believe um, it's important to create an appointment even if it's not in person just to like give a heads up hey i would like to talk about this and this is the subject matter and these are the times that are convenient for me and then the teacher or the leader gets back and says here's where i can meet you but they also have some time to get whatever information they need you know so that they are um able to share what's appropriate and then i think um and this is where i just feel really you know my heart goes out to educators. Some of them are going to have to have a conversation on Sunday morning at ten a.m. because that's the only time the parent can have the conversation, or a Friday. You know, unfortunately, there's um a lot of gosh onus or or pressure on the teacher to be accessible at times where they probably or need need their time, um, and so. I, you know, I'm I'm not going to say eight to three or, or eight to five, because that's probably not realistic for a lot of parents. Um, I do believe really and truly though, it needs to be on the telephone or in person where there is dialogue because the texting and the writing back and forth, there's too much lost in translation and you can't hear the tone. Um, and, you can't really feel the, the love or the compassion um, that goes along with just sending an email or a text or a dojo message. So um, a lot of times we shy away from having face-to-face conversations because um, we get nervous or it seems like we might not be able to control all of our, our, our emotions, but really, um, you know, the, the dialogue is so important.
0: Yeah, I think, um, gosh, one, thank you for the appointment thing and like the heads up thing, because, oh, man, it is so difficult in those moments sometimes when a parent comes in and I'm just like blindsided and I'm like, look, I just want to show up for your child, too. But I already have like this meeting scheduled and I've got these seven kids over here and I got to handle buses right now. Like, I really appreciate that. And at the same time, I understand that sometimes for parents, it's like, well, I'm here now and it's either now or Sunday right? And then that leaves me with a choice, but I appreciate you for that. But then you mentioned, um, I agree, like so much can get lost in translation via text or email and and still even in person, I think that much can get lost in translation. And Iris had brought up earlier, like this idea of like helping parents feel comfortable, helping teachers feel comfortable, cultivating like a safe space. And, and it took me a couple of years to figure this out, but I, I realized that the parents that I used to think were, um, I don't know, like the parents, I, I guess I used to be most nervous about speaking to. I later realized it was because like they were worried about looking like a bad parent or being a bad parent. Mm-hmm. Like that was always what it came down to. And I finally realized like, oh, no, I, I think you're an amazing parent. And I realized I just have to say that every time I talk to them mm-hmm. because it's true. And, and I knew they needed that. But I'm just curious, like, have y'all ever talked to an administrator or a teacher as a parent? And, and you were just like, man, I feel so seen and heard right now. And like, what did they do to help you get there? Um, Or even like with your children?
3: I think for me, I've always felt more comfortable when I've seen the school leaders outside of the school building. So it's, it's not as comfortable approaching them when you go into the school building. I don't know what that is, why that is, but you don't feel as comfortable Speaking to them about what's going on with your child then, or about how you feel about the schools in general, but when you see them in a mutual place where, you know, you, and maybe it's a more so being on the same level type thing. So if, you know, we are somewhere, we are at a restaurant, or we are at a, some type of event where people can socialize and we just both happen to be there, you feel more comfortable Speak into them then, and then you can, you know, bring up anything that's related to what your feelings are about the school.
4: Gosh, I, I, I was thinking, and I'm going to try not to get emotional, but this was one of the most powerful things that's ever happened to me as a mom. Um, we had a vice principal a couple years ago, and she called me in and she said, I need to tell you about an incident that happened on field day. And she said, there was a parent who was extremely inappropriate with your son in the way that she spoke to him. And um, I have spoken to the parent and told her that that was not okay and that that will not happen again on our campus. And <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, firstly, I had no idea. You know, it, the weekend had passed, like little Stephen hadn't said anything to me. Um, and... Uh, someone, uh, I I don't know if someone reported it or if the vice principal was there and she witnessed the whole thing, but she took care of it, um, you know, and then let me know. And I was just so touched and like blown away that um, she would do that for my, for my child. I mean, that took (laughs) a major, you know what? Like, <laughs> I mean, uh and I just I felt so loved. Mm.
0: That's so beautiful. Um and I love that so much.
4: And I, oh, I wow. said it without crying, Jenny. Good <laughs> job. I am so proud of you, Amy. <laughs>
0: For all the listeners out there, um I and I are big criers. Like I cry all the time. And I don't know if Iris is or not. Iris, are you a crier?
3: Uh I'm not a big crier. But I'm not afraid to cry when I feel it. Okay. But I don't really cry a lot. Oh,
0: I like that. I'm not afraid to cry when I feel it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's good. Um, but I guess my last question for y'all is it's kind of the reverse of that question. Um, I've also noticed in the past when parents want to give feedback to teachers, usually if if like there's a negative outcome, it's usually because the teachers themselves don't feel like they're great teachers. right? They're like, oh, no, this means I'm a bad teacher. Or something in their mind is happening where they feel judged, they feel blamed, they don't feel like they are deserving of this role that's like such an important role in our society. And, and sometimes it's really hard to take feedback, although I think a lot of teachers are pretty amazing at it. So I'm curious when you all approach teachers, y'all are just so aware, how do you try to cultivate a safe space too so that they can hear what you're having to offer them?
4: I would, you know, I would just say that anytime we're um, going to have a a crucial conversation, a critical conversation, a hard conversation, that we really need to check ourselves first and say, is this a must, right? Is this conversation a must? Um, And and hopefully the answer is yes, because if it's no, there's no need to have it. (laughs) You know, teachers have a million and one things to do and unless it's a must, um, then that has to be answered first. And then secondly, I mean, just to come from a place where we are trying to seek to understand and where our ultimate goal is that the teacher feels supported in our, like, we are not coming to him or her um, from any place, but a place of love and support, right? And, And people know that. From how you offer, what you offer, um, and certainly also ready to listen, because just because you think this is that conversation that must be ha- had, there could be something said where we didn't know, right? Like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Um, but just to be ready to like, but we'll come out of it with lo- or come to it with love and compassion, seeking to understand ready to listen. And then, you know, again, I'm going to go back to it. A big old hug at the end. (laughs) Like we're not, we're not leaving here without hugging it out because we both care about these children, right? We know that you are here because you care about children. And so um, how grateful am I that my child is in that place?
0: Um, Yeah. That's really good stuff. I find that listening is like, like that's really, it's all it takes, right? Like, that's it. Like trust gets built when we listen to each other. So that's just um, powerful.
3: Anything else to add there, Iris? I just wanted to say, I think, I can't really speak for a lot of people. I feel like me and Aini and other parents that might offer more support are understanding because it might be our, our natural, way of communicating and a lot of it comes down to the art of communication and how we deal with our own um self-defense mechanisms and all of that so it's i mean it's kind of hard to be able to say you know what's the best approach to take because it's going to be different with different people but i think a lot of that goes back into just making parents feel comfortable in general and Also, teachers feel comfortable in general. I like think back to the stories that I hear of when my parents were in school and they think of their principals and teachers as people that were in the neighborhood with them whose houses they could go to anytime. They felt that type of comfortability with them and their parents felt comfortable with them so that they were able to come and talk to them. And if the teacher came and told them that anything was going you know their child was doing something that wasn't correct or needed um some type of discipline for some type of action that they had done they were receptive to it because these were also their friends role models mentors and just community leaders in general so i think it's it's going to take a lot of that and that's why a lot of teachers do feel sometimes like like they're less than Because they don't feel like they have that type of power as mentors and leaders, community leaders or school educator leaders. They don't feel that anymore because everything is just, you know, based on scores and point systems and certain types of Curriculums and the way we're supposed to do our lesson plans, and if we don't have all of that on point, then we're frantic. And then the te- the parent isn't able to see that part. All the parent sees is, you know, why are you singling out my child, or why aren't you giving my child enough attention? And you know, it's hard to have that type of communication unless they have a relationship with each other. Yeah,
0: I guess that's like the other piece that all comes down to is like building that relationship, right? Um, Absolutely.
1: Do with a relationship. And I also hear you say, I reach, like educators, we have to find ways to get proximate, right? To be where the like parents are. Right. I, that's what I grabbed from like the, you know, when our educators used to live in community, right? But we still, um, though that's not always true, I think there's, that's a, a point of learning, right? Like we could be f- curious about how might we get more proximate to parents and be where parents are um, so that we could build their relationship. And then, I, need, I the one thing I just grabbed from what you shared, I think is like cool, funny, but like just makes my heart smile. It's like you got to do it with a hug, right? Um, um so do it with do a we, hug, do it with a hug, be willing to hug, hug it out. Uh, so, as I mentioned at the top of the yeah, hug it out. Um, I as I mentioned at the top of this, uh, this, this episode, um, like Jenny and I just reopened school. So, my next question is kind of like it's coming from like, I, I guess, this is a question that I've been holding for some time. Um, and I'm interested to like, as parents, so I'm gonna ask you. Um, so like school as we know it has been like uprooted um, and parents for some time before moving back to a face-to-face reopening, parents for some time throughout this year have had to be out front like in student learning um, and student support um, you know, in, the, um, in, our, in our academic spread this year. So my question for you is like, what? I'm just curious to you know, what insights have you learned um, as like, as parent educators this year, and then um, I'm also curious about like, what do you think that educators could could learn from that? Um, yeah, as we are starting to think about reimagining and redesigning schools.
3: I think I can say that I've learned that we just have to be more flexible and realize that things are not going to look the way that they always look. So. I would tell educators to like take that into consideration if we're going to expect parents to do their part then we have to understand that it's not going to look exactly the same way as far as schedule goals as far as what assignments look like as it does in a classroom it's going to look differently if parents are going to be more involved they're going to be there and have to be in control of what their students are doing, what their kids are doing and at what time they're doing it because a lot of times, you know, since before schools reopened and still now because my um, kids are still virtual, you have to help them when you can. If parents are working or if there are smaller kids that have to be taken care of during that time, it's just a matter of being flexible and i think going back and rethinking schools now that we see that that can work like it's okay to be flexible it doesn't have to be a specific type of schedule assignments don't have to look a certain type of way now that we know that it can work we can go back in and not try to make things go back to the way they were what we call the normal we can now try to incorporate some of These things that we've learned with technology and figure out ways to, you know, better educate the students and the parents on how to make this all work and just be more flexible with it.
4: Yeah, um, full disclosure, I have not done one ounce of educating my son for the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) But these are three things that I know to be true. I knew them to be true before, and I certainly know them to be true now. I hope more people do. Educators are not compensated fairly. They need to be paid so much more. Broadband should be a utility, period. And learning is different. It has to be different. I mean, we don't traditional, just that that needs to go by the wayside. There are too many ways to learn, and it's too important to not embrace all of those ways for all of our kids. So that's um that's the three takeaways from from covid nineteen for for me for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, so one thank you for that. both of you. Um, yeah, i'm I'm interested to chase the takes like, those responses down as we think about like reopening schools. Um, but before Jenny closes us out here, um, I just, like my last question for you is: If you have one piece of advice that you could package and offer to um, a, another parent or an educator, um, what what advice would you would you offer?
4: Well, I would offer it to parents and it would be to the parents who are not supporting our public school systems right now by not sending their kids to public schools. I'm not really popular this year. I'm getting ready to double down on, on, the, on the unpopular train, but whatever, what do I have to lose? Um, that the best thing you can do for your community, and let me throw in this too, for your local economy, is to embrace your public school system. And that means putting your kids in it (laughs) and using the resources that you are using for private school and sink it into your local public schools. Okay. So that, so that's my advice to you parents. Um, I hope you're listening. That's the best thing you can do because in turn, you will help the entire system, including your own kids in case you're worried about that.
1: Love it, love it, love it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, you know, it's really cool. I, I I know we're like about to close out, but um, I was listening to this interview with an organizer recently, and she was talking about how she talked to parents who pull their kids out of schools. And one of the questions she always asks is like, well, like, what do you want to be true about public schools? And then usually parents are like, well, I want great public schools. And then she's like. And do you want to pay $15,000 a year for school? Uh, and usually parents are like, no. And then it's like, great. that we know what we need to do together. We need to build great public schools together. Like, there it is. It's so simple. It's
4: so simple.
1: But thank you for bringing that to the to the pod here. <laughs> December, so I that. <laughs> Iris, what do you, what do what are you thinking about?
3: I think my advice to parents would just be, to be more involved in involved looks different from it for every parent so when uh, most of the time when you hear say get hear people say get involved parents think well i have to be here there everywhere but i mean a lot of times you can't be anywhere where there's a school event or community event going on so getting involved means just having like certain times during the day with your kids where you're getting them to teach you something that they've learned that day or you are going on, I tell people all the time, like like my favorite phrase for my students, for my kids, for adults is figure it out. We like to complain so much about so many things when we have all of these resources. Google, asking the whole world wide web on Facebook, YouTube, there are plenty of ways to figure things out now. Like We, we can't continue using excuses. We can't continue just bashing the school system just because we don't agree with it. Because if we really care about our kids, we will get involved in some way. If that just means you providing the type of education that you think your child needs by way of YouTube videos or tutorials or just by way of dinner conversations and you're teaching them, then you are contributing to the school system in your own little way. So my advice is for parents is just to get involved in your own way, get involved, and if you disagree with anything or dislike anything, figure it out.
0: Yes, um, man, I love what you just said, Iris, because we talk about like individual variability of kids all the time. Like we're always like, oh, all kids are different. So like that's like school shouldn't be the same for everybody. But I've never thought about that in the context of parent involvement. And I wonder how many parents are like, well, I can't get involved because I can't go to the PTO meeting or I can't get involved, I can't do this thing. And I love that idea of like, nah, just like every kid has a gift, every teacher has a gift, every parent brings a gift. And I guess all we want is like, parents like share that gift with us. And sometimes it is figuring it out together. Because if if you've exhausted your resources and you can't figure it out, like, gosh, I'd love nothing more when a parent comes to me and they're like, hey, I see this challenge, I've thought through this, I can't figure this piece out. And then it's like, oh, great, like let's do this together now. Um, That's amazing. So you guys, thank you so much. I kept hearing you both. I mean, y'all know Donnell and I love rethinking schools, but I kept hearing you both say that over and over again tonight. And I'm so grateful because I think the more parents who start to demand a different way of doing school, I think the better future we're going to have. And then I also heard you all talk about rethinking partnerships. And so I just want to say thank you both for just sharing your wisdom with us and your grace and your smiles. I'm sorry our listeners don't get to see um, how just like passionate you two are. And I, think, I know they can hear it, but there's like, there's something else about seeing it. And uh, thank you for sharing that passion with us today. We're, we're so grateful to you both. And thank
3: you for inviting us. Yeah, for sure. It's an
1: honor.
0: All right, big hugs. Air hugs.
1: Thank you for tuning into the Hummingbird Stories. We share our podcast with the people you love and rate it wherever you get your pods. Follow Ginny on Twitter at Omira Jenny follow me on instagram at martin luther King jr hummingbird stories is made by ali lindenberg jenny o'meara and me Donnell Cannon. original music by a grade student x 4 l hummingbird painting is by a grade student jocelyn Hernandez a special shout out to Evan rash always reminds us why not us thanks to
2: the EdNC team for their never-ending support